Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. Spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, we can't. He's a pig. Look out, he is a spider pig. Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to the film board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and tonight we're breaking with a few traditions here on the film board. It's not a Star Wars movie. I know, I know, it's been a number of Decembers, but this year we've been given a bit more freedom from our creative overlords at Disney. Tonight we're talking Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and this one is only made in association with Marvel. It is also the first time we've tackled an animated film on the film board, and this one is a doozy. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again, and again, and again. Look, I'm a comic book, a serial, I did a Christmas album, and a so-so popsicle. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. Six different spider things being thrown at us in new and inventive stories for the screen. Tell me what kind of unique spider thing you'd most likely be. Andy Nelson. I probably would, would be really good at uh, scaring children and uh, and other people. <laughs> <laughs> Arachnophobia. The <first> one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very nice. I'm really good at parties. <laughs> Hello, Tommy Hanson. What's your spider thing? Um... 
I think I'd probably be like spider creep because I'm already kind of I'm naturally sticky. <laughs> uh, can we get like something more heroic? Steve Sarmento, hello. All right, people, let's start at the beginning. My name is Steve Sarmento, and seven years ago, I started listening to a podcast hosted by these guys, Pete and Andy. I started commenting and giving Pete a really hard time about some of his opinions, and then this weird thing happened. I mean, like, really, really weird. They asked me to be part of the team, and that's how I ended up on the Spider Film Board. Wow. <laughs> that's an origin story for the, for the ages there. How about you, Pete Wright, Spider Stuff? All right, everybody. I'm Steve Sarmento. <laughs> Wait, what? Did I do that wrong? I thought we were all doing... Okay, never mind. <laughs> Steve does have the only hero superhero name of all of us. He does. With the double That's S. That's true, because he has That's the right. S. That's true. Yeah. That's right. Like Brightburn. Well, I'm JJ. Oh, you're JJ. Oh, I'm JJ. That's right. And my Spidey sense tells me that my own spiderness would be a lot more like something from Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Yes. They can jump really far and fly. And that's just a throwback for all the parents of Noggin or Treehouse TV kiddos. I was one of those. Whether you're with me on that one or not, you should go check out all the details about this show and the Next Reel's extended family of podcasts at thenextreel.com. There you can join our fun community of film fanatics so go dig deep into our dirt because we want to continue the conversation with you all right i am so excited to talk about this one with you guys new style of movie for us here y'all how did you like it pete go you guys i'm so glad we did this movie i love this movie Me too i loved it i loved it i loved it i adored it uh i loved the weird looney tune physics on just one character i loved the the style i loved the the weird way that it's kind of a 3d movie without your glasses like what did that look like if you saw it in 3d it's very strange uh i love these characters i love the script uh the only thing i, I wasn't so keen on was just the development of some of the villainry but uh, overall, I left this movie uh, just jazzed, and I can't wait to see what comes next. Woohoo! We are off to a great start, and great for it being animated for us that way, too. How about you, Steve? What did you think? Yeah, a really good movie gives you exactly what you want, but in a new way, and this just nailed it for me. And I love seeing an animated movie that's going to embrace the the freedom and liberation that animation just allows you to do crazy, bonkers things. I think so often we've just gotten you know, tied down with animated movies that are, well, it's animated, but it still takes place in a real world with real physics. And here we've got just all kinds of bonkers animated things going on. And I thought, yes, embrace the lunacy of what animation can let you do and run with it. And this movie did it in so many ways. I just, it again, I had such a great time. I am so glad we picked this movie this month. Me too. And, I, and it sounds like we're getting some consensus. Is there going to be any watering down? Tommy Handsome. <laughs> that was always my nickname growing up. <laughs> Old watering down. Watering down. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm not a superhero guy and I'm actually not much of right. a animation guy, unfortunately. Uh, but this movie, I was once I got used to it, which took a, just a little bit of time. I was absolutely blown away by its humor and its heart and by its visuals. I really loved this movie. I loved it, loved it, okay. loved it. So I'm a part of the consensus. 
You're welcome. What a massive relief. Loving it. Andy Nelson, what do you think? This uh, was a Spider-Man movie I wasn't expecting to see, and I was uh, incredibly thrilled by it, Uh, most notably because it had a new Spider-Man character, a bunch of new Spider-Man characters for us, but our main protagonist of the film is a Spider-Man who may now possibly be my favorite iteration of any Spider-Man. I just loved Miles Morales. I loved his story. Um, this was a big win for me. I'm so glad. And, you know, this is really interesting for me because I think usually when we end up talking about the comic book movies, I kind of get into the fanboy category a little bit. There's a lot of somewhat this sort of things can't do things wrong for me because I like comic books so much. But I wasn't going to see this movie. I had fatigue. I, I didn't really mm. want to do more. I was I was locked into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was thinking, OK, I just want to follow this plot line that they're leading me to out. And then, you know, maybe I'll break for a little bit unless I really want to see something. I wasn't going to see this movie and then we selected it for this and wow it knocked my socks off I socks? Yeah, (laughs) you're going to get cold. (laughs) I I think this I have a lot of weird sort of hyperbole superlatives to say about this movie. I think this might be one of my favorite animated movies of all time because of the innovations they do visually in the movie. And I think it might be my favorite movie of the year right now. I I cheer myself a little bit about that. I I was. I had every emotion in this movie. I was completely bought in. I didn't expect everyone to love it as much as me, but I'm thinking it's going to be the best movie for the whole Christmas season. And I'm, I I mean, I'm going to be too much of a Pollyanna about this movie. This was so great. I laughed out loud consistently. It was, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't that I just had a low expectation. This movie steps out and breaks so many things that you're expecting when you're going to. And that's the thing I want to stress most is that whatever you think about comic book movies or whatever you think about animated movies, this is something new and it's something special. And it really, really, uh, it really, really hit that for me. I, to start our conversation, I want to talk about that thing that you brought up, uh, Pete, the, 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 the 3D looking thing at the beginning. I probably lasted a good 20 to 25 minutes looking around the theater inside, checking to see if other people had glasses on and I just forgot to get them. Yeah. Did anybody else have that? Pete, is that what you were experiencing or did anyone else freak out a little bit at that? I totally wonder that because I saw the movie in 2D and so I... I did too. uh, Naturally. And so I I feel like uh, is... This can't have resolved in the 3D movie. How did no. they possibly do right. 3D? Isn't it like putting a hat on a hat visually? Like, how does that even work? You'd think. Oh, yeah. I, about 15 minutes in, I thought, do I need to go? <laughs> it was playing in 3D only at like one time. And I thought, oh, did somebody load the wrong file? Do I need to go like get a manager and say, hey, I think you're playing the wrong version of the movie because I think I should be having 3D glasses on this image. What's going on? And then I realized, oh, no, this it's. The whole image would be totally screwy if it was right. the wrong thing, but it, yeah. it did it did mess with me uh, a lot more. And so I'm looking forward to seeing it again because it it kept me from being really immersed because it slightly distracted me because I thought there was something wrong with the projection. So now I'm looking forward to going back and just going with it and not letting my analytical side be, you know, 
distracted. It's, by, it's by the, an amazing. It makes yeah. me wonder if we actually brought like red, blue, 3D glasses to this movie, <laughs> if we would see a completely different movie. It's yeah. such an amazing look, and I mean that's I, that's what they were going for. I know Lord and Miller. Yeah. They they had said they wanted it to feel like you stepped inside a comic book, and it had kind of those oh, those yeah. little dots. Uh, those I oh yeah, what There's they call them, like the, the Kirby dots or whatever. Um, yes. to make it really feel like that kind of the way it was printed and and just the way that the different colors sometimes didn't line up i think that that's what gave it that funky semi 3d look that uh, that we're all talking about um it, it's such the rgb wasn't together. right exactly like, like the, it yeah. wasn't the completely RGB was separated slightly exactly yeah. well it wasn't even just that there were sometimes things in the background or some things in the foreground the image looked like it was like blurred like shifted like there were two versions on purpose um, yeah. but, and i know yeah. it was on purpose but it seemed to be things always like extreme foreground or like way in the background and i thought oh if i had 3d glasses with that that's supposed to be like really recessed yeah. in the in the background. Right, right. So yeah, there was the red blue, and I thought, okay, that's a style. At first, I thought that was the 3D, and I said, no, 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 they don't do that type of 3D anymore. It's the other kind, and I just forgot that they are just messing around so much visually. Um, my in-laws asked, you know, what movie they should go see because they they had heard about this and then Green Book, and I I I was torn. I recommended Green Book for them because I think they would enjoy it because I think this one could just be really overstimulating and overwhelming uh, for people that aren't expecting this type of uh, movie. I remember when, uh, what was it like CNN, when they introduced like their ticker and like an older generation was like, there's too much information on the screen. It's really distracting. And I can see that I think being an issue for some people because there is so much uh, movement and information thrown at, thrown at you that I think Number one, it's going to be rewarding on multiple viewings to see everything that's going on. But it, I can also see where it could be a little uh, disorienting or overwhelming for some people. There were times when it was very much overwhelming for me. Yeah. Uh, a certain sequences where I was like, OK, like I almost felt like I needed to look away. It was a little too tough. Sure. And whenever they did the fake blurring of someone in the foreground, that's when it really did that RGB thing. Yeah. I found that just really difficult to look at. So I just had to look at something else. That being said, it started off in the very beginning with that because it's kind of jerky, too, at times, especially in the beginning. I was like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> like this, this film is not for me. I already know <laughs> the only thing I'm going to be able to say on the podcast. But then I really leaned into it of like, no, this is the aesthetic. Just give it a chance. And then for me, it ended up being uh, brilliant and working really well. But, yeah, it's going to be it's a very brave decision. It is to make a yeah. film like this. Yeah, because this could have been just people being like, what? No, <laughs> this is an animation. This is something weird. What reconciled it for me was accepting that it was an homage to comic books and to the actual books. And I will say that, uh, you know, in even in the live action movies that have been coming out for so many years now, some of my favorite stuff is where they tried to create frames from actual books and so the fact that they did that here and then actually got to a place where they were they were breaking the fourth wall with the way that the homage was working in terms of the comic books in giving us thought bubbles and giving miles right. the, the character miles actually questioning why it was there i i was thinking maybe this is going to be some aspect of his power or whatnot but it's actually something about the vehicle of how they're delivering the story to us i think that's they're this is a beautiful homage to what it's like to read a comic book and then put it on the screen. And I really love that too. That something that's uh, also something that is very present in a lot of the comic books is this concept of the multiverse. And we talk about being overstimulated with the visuals. Uh, 
something that I was really nervous about this movie was trying to get through a convoluted story about how multiple universes come together. We're here now because of all the years of comic book movies. How do you like multiple Spider-Mans, multiple Spider-Things showing up and using this sort of quantum physics theory to explain it? This is going to happen more and more because it's part of the natural comic book soap opera. This is where we are now. Did it bother you that all of a sudden we're explaining the what if there are six different spider things that we need to check into or potentially more because i mean marvel has a great number of universes in all of their different comics and so this is a you know i don't know if it's the first time that we've seen it in in their films i think maybe some of the animated films might have dabbled in it but I think it's I sure. think it's a really interesting element to kind of throw in and uh you know I mean they're going to have to at some point and why not start here and 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 use it in such great effect where we get to see such an interesting variety of spider characters that uh gives us a lot of fun and just a lot of uh variety that made for I thought just an absolutely exciting way to tell this story uh, which uh, largely is about a villain who is uh, upset with something that happened in his own universe and is trying to, you know, get his wife and and son back um, from a different universe. And I, I thought that was such an interesting way to kind of kind of create this story and and allow for this this huge expansion. Um, I loved it. And as an outsider, I agree with Andy completely. And as an outsider, meaning I have not, I didn't grow up reading superheroes. I only read horror comics like a weirdo. Uh, but explains a lot. The answer, the <laughs> so sticky. The answer to your question that I can give JJ is uh, I loved it. I was fine with it because I thought the economy of story was so brilliantly sure. done. That they yeah. were just, they hit yeah. the parts that needed to be hit pretty hard, but then really backed off of it. And then as it went on, they didn't keep reacting to every single little thing. The entire backstory of uh, Kingpin was just done in like a slideshow. I was pretty right. okay. It, it never gave me the time and in a way I don't think I even needed to stop and go, wait, is this too much? Is this too weird? Because I was too busy enjoying the ride. I thought it, and I thought it was going to be terrible. So the fact that they found that economy and they found an artful way to tell us this really difficult story and then with a really complicated visual representation, I think it's brilliant. I think this is a really special movie because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's another thing to tie in here that, that, uh, the DC television universe. Uh, has oh, yeah. has been has gone heavy into multiple earths right dc has been fleshing that out for three four years between arrow and supergirl and oh really and, um, flash. yeah and flash, flash. Uh, and uh, the dc legends of tomorrow and dc legends of tomorrow their entire premise is jumping through time and through portals and it's just that's oh, their whole thing okay. so and and they do these epic crossovers like multiple like four week crossover four night crossovers these massive four hour things where they're they're all the characters on all the shows for a week straight and they're all jumping through all of these earths uh and i so, think they're in the middle of one right now yeah. where they all switch powers they and do they switch and powers and arrow is the flash and uh, yeah it's Weird. it's a crazy thing yeah it's and it's great it's super fun it's exactly the kind of experience you want out of you know comic book tv shows i think it's just really frivolous and and it's super fan friendly and um and so i wonder actually i found myself thinking i wonder how much of the table is set right now that we're in this this period where 
everybody's going to be exploring multiple universes in their own unique way. You know, we're just kind of following the creative juices. And um, now we get to see it in uh, get the, the Spider-Verse out. I think it's really exciting. That does make me nervous because in the right hands, it's almost kind of like with great power comes great responsibility. Um, a lot of uh, too much universe craziness in the wrong hands can just become numbing and terrible. So well, I hope that. Well, that's what I kind of wondered, right? Because yeah. th- this is not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So does this, but I talked about in the intro, I said it's in association with Marvel. We saw the Marvel intro screen. I got super excited to see Sony and Marvel working together this way. It, could this be a little bit of sugar to a to you know a very light way, a very interesting and fun way to talk to us about a multiverse concept, and then we're walking into this potentially very difficult ex- to explain resolution in Avengers Four with what happens for the Infinity Gauntlet. I mean, why does Into the Spider Verse come out now? What what are they showing us? We're going to have Marvel uh, Captain Marvel come out, and she's going to be going all through time and different things too. I mean, Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it takes place in the nineties. So spoilers, right? So maybe they're trying to set us up to say, we can do this and we can do this in a way that you're going to like it. Well, with, with great success comes great responsibility. And I think that <laughs> there well, you go. What, what they're doing, I think what they, the way they handled this was really intelligent because they know Spider-Man, it's like folklore. Everybody knows the origin. And so we, we got for each of them. I mean, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man? I get bit by a by a spider. I got some special powers, and I lost somebody close to me. And we we see that for you know many of these that are introduced. We see you know what their origin is or a condensed version because we don't need the whole thing. And, and even the Uncle Ben's line becomes sort of a punchline because somebody starts to say it, and Peter was like, no, "Don't even finish that. Don't say don't it. Don't say again. that. Yeah, yeah, we we all know this." And they've leveraged that, and it allows them to get into that economy. Uh, but it was it, they leveraged it well for Miles' story because he has to experience his loss, and they all know that because they've been through that. Um, what I've read is what they're doing is there's a planned sequel to this one, but they're also planning the spinoff of Spider Gwen. So oh, they're, they are. they're, In they're, a film they're form? planning a her own separate film with her and uh jessica drew and yes. it's all the and penny parker all of yes. the all of the spider women women the spider right. women yeah yes Interesting. so i i don't i could see where you're saying i think they're sort of i mean the audience for get ready for some messy you know head scratching stuff that we may bring at you but for me people that are fans of comic books they they love this stuff and for me it was it was great fan service to to put all these in there but the story was handled so intelligently to treat the audience with respect and say, we know you know these things. And I think a little bit, they leveraged the Deadpool with, as as we heard at the beginning, you know, the first Peter Parker talks about, you know, very self-aware of the merchandise, the the really, you know, bad looking popsicle. To me, that's, <laughs> that's that Deadpool piece of we can be self-aware and we can make fun of ourselves and what we've done as a corporation in the past with the Spider-Man Christmas album and all of those things. Um, (laughs) they have that freedom to me in this animated version to do those types of things, to, to poke fun at themselves a little bit. Uh, and I think they just balanced it really well. Well, and I think I'm glad you brought up Deadpool because I think the, the, the feeling that I got in looking at this movie is that Marvel's 
Marvel has these great properties and they're making tons of money in it. And and the Spider-Man franchise as a whole has been through some weird iterations. I know, I mean, I I was never a particular Tobey Maguire fan just because it wasn't the right cast for me for the original Spider-Man. I know, Pete, you really like the Andrew Garfield stuff. And I know, I mean, and in general, I think people are pretty happy with Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. But something oh, that's yeah. interesting. Tom is the one, yeah. Right. But something that's interesting with the Deadpool thing is that we need to give a a little stage back to Spider-Man. And part of this felt like Marvel saying, let's make Spider-Man great again. This is our guy that we're going to make a a big deal. And and Spider-Man has all these different ways you can go with it. Well, and I think by choosing my by choosing Miles Morales, I mean, you're going to I mean, to me, this is very much 21st century. Let's have and and Spider Gwen. It's like you look at, you know, the history of superheroes and it's, you know, white dudes. And so to now get into multicultural and different gender, you know, this is realizing that our audience spans the globe and different people are interested in Spider-Man. He is an international phenomenon. We need to make a story that is going to be representative and it's going to be appealing to this international and global audience. And I think they handled that really well in this version is because we didn't get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. We got Miles Morales. So there's an entire generation of, you know, kids that, can identify with this Spider-Man that couldn't identify with the previous Spider-Man. And uh, Kevin Smith has a, a little video on Wired where he talks about, you know, uh, the different versions of Spider-Man in TV and film. But he talks about Stanley uh, with Spider-Man. When he's got his costume on, he could be anybody. Anybody could be Spider-Man, regardless of, of race or gender, because you don't see their face. Whereas with Spider, you know, with Superman, you know, huh. you see his face, you know, it's a white guy. But Spider-Man could be anybody. And he becomes that universal hero where anybody could put on the mask and be oh, a hero. That's what all that was about. Cool. Yes. I like that. Yeah. And that's why that's why this Stan Lee cameo is so wonderful just after his death. Right. His lines. I'm really going to miss him. I mean how like how wonderful is that and then for him to say uh it eventually always fits i mean just that concept they're really diving into the spider-man character and saying this is what the origin of marvel was Mm -hmm. about and giving it back to everyone you know i know that this is something that you guys really liked was it last year when we did the last jedi um the concept of giving the force to everyone Mm -hmm. that's what marvel's doing here it's saying everybody can be a superhero. I just thought that was really, really Well, it's doing with a character. I mean, Spider-Man is their most popular character, or at least it, it, it had been for a huge portion of Marvel's life. Yeah. Historic. And yeah. and it uh, it's giving uh, a different voice to it in a way that I think is wholly unique. And it allows for that expansion of the of the mythos of Spider-Man to really become that idea that it can be anyone. And I think that it it does. And I think that's another reason why the multiverse actually ends up working so well, um, because it allows for uh, it really does allow for anybody to be Spider-Man because you could have any universe where, you know, one of us is Spider-Man. I mean, it's a really interesting way that they have developed that. And I, uh, you know, I just I'm I'm thrilled with the way that they played with um introducing miles morales as the character because i think that it's a it's a different background for my for our kind of our perception of spider-man but it ends up creating a really interesting character with great family dynamics and uh, just kind of a unique origin story of his own that uh, that 
Um, clearly the filmmakers are, are, um, they know the history of Spider-Man and they're respectful of the history of Spider-Man all the way back to the, the, the cartoons. I mean, that's something I think Lord and Miller have been doing really well with, uh, like the Lego properties that they've been, uh, working on. I mean, the Batman one had, had kind of did the same thing. The Lego Batman movie it was, you know, you had homages to all the different Batman. It was brilliant. And they do that here where they are showing great respect to all of the stuff that came before them um, while also allowing themselves to play with it a little bit and, and you know, breathe some new life into it. And yeah, not navel gazing, yeah, right. meaning not getting so lost in the lore that even if you don't know those that Spider-Man existed before, it's not like if you didn't get that Tobey Maguire dance joke, right. it was it was so quick. That like even if you didn't see that movie, it still would work, and you'd be like, "Oh, okay, that's fine. yeah, it's still funny, very nimble, funny on its own." You know, it's funny. You were talking about all the people that Spider-Man could be, and I, I think we just have to shine a great big fancy spotlight on the middle-aged fat guy with a gut and stubble that is <laughs> sort of relinquishing the role to to all of these wonderful new characters, and I, I think this Peter Parker is is one that. <laughs> Sadly, I can relate to uh, and Jake Johnson's Peter Parker. Peter he B. was Parker. so good. This is yeah. just Nick so Nick great. Miller, right? With a and uh, uh, in in the outfit, and I really like Nick Miller. I can relate to Nick Miller. He's yep. he, and and so I really enjoyed um, Jake's portrayal of Peter Parker here, and I think it's it so fits this universe like it give that that he is sort of the elder statesman, and it gives him kind of purpose, but also the purpose to hand off the the reins to uh, to this next generation i think is is uh, deeply satisfying mm-hmm. is it really though handing it off though isn't he going back he's still going to be spider-man in his universe he, he is but look at what he's doing for for these other spider-men right, right? Sure. i mean it's like sure. this is this is a thing yeah he's going to do his thing but also he is he gets to be a mentor and he gets to watch them go be great and i love that spirit in the third act of this movie which yeah. is you know him saying yeah the kids got it like this is great we did i love work. you i'm so proud of you do i want kids <laughs> that was so, well, and that, that works so fantastic. nicely with his character arc because then we do we he still gets a character arc which i loved because he goes back home yeah. we see him connect with mary jane again because of the whole thing with kids i mean it was it was beautiful the way that they incorporated that i do think that the screenplay can be looked at at times i'd have to watch it again but as a master class of economy of story and also able to give arcs that seem significant, but are done so quickly and so little. I mean, Gwen Stacy refines friendship. I'm not going to go through all of them because I'll mess them all up. But I mean, um, <laughs> I guess uh, the ham, spider ham starts to eat meat. That's weird. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool to see how many different things, the dad story, the everything. I mean, there was so much actual heart in it, but it didn't get. Like that, not to throw him under the bus, but like a Judd Judd Apatow-ish kind of like really rolling in that kind of stuff. It was just very uh, economy, I think, is the word that I keep wanting to use. Well, yeah, I I love that, you know, there's it was really focused on character. And and even with with Wilson Fisk, Kingpin, it's not I'm evil and I'm going to do something. It's he has experienced personal loss. And so it's the villain that you can to a certain extent sympathize with and say his, his method is way off track, but you can understand that he's experiencing loss and he's 
angry about it. And he wants, you know, to take this out on somebody in some way. And this is his only way of doing it. You, normally you get the just, I'm I'm the villain that's just a villain to be the villain for plot purposes. But here he has a, a character-based reason for what he's doing, which I love seeing in stories because it just makes the arc of the hero, the conflict, so gives it so much more substance uh, when they're they're battling each other, you can understand they each have something at stake. It's not just oh well, the the hero has to defeat the villain because that's the way the story goes. It's well, if if Kingpin does win, there's it's I can see why you know why he wants it so bad. What he's fighting for, uh, Doc Ock on the other hand, yeah, she's the sidekick, and I don't get as much about her motivation. That's the one character I have a little issue with. She's just your typical sort of henchman. Uh, and I wish there was a little bit more to her and why, why she's involved in this. For me, that was, I, I didn't have a huge issue because, uh, you know, I know with a lot of Spider-Man films, they've had a lot of villains and that's been, that's been a big problem that I've had with them, especially because they try to each have their own story with Spider-Man and it really bogs it down. What I liked about this one is that she was just a henchman and, and she was just another villain to have in there. Um, just like, uh, the goblin. I liked that they were all working for Fisk and they didn't necessarily need to have their own stories for me that that cleaned up the problem that I have with those multi-villain films. Although, you know, I feel like there was something that was that was missing for me in the villainry, and that was uh, specifically around Miles and his family and his specifically his uncle and his dad, Jefferson and Aaron. You know, I really connected with that story and wanted I wanted more in that area in particular, not even in costume as the prowler. Like I, I wanted more Mahershala Ali, um, you know, to in in this role as as a mentor. I just and, and I know uh, like it's not that there was anything wrong with the film as presented. Maybe it's just me wanting <laughs> wanting more redemption from Green Book. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I just felt like that was that was a real special triangle, the Jefferson Aaron Miles triangle. And um, and and I think it was um, it, it was something that that I, I could I was hungry for. I was hungry for more yeah. of that. Um, what a great reveal. So. Did you guys see that coming? No. I that Aaron, that Uncle Aaron was going to be the prowler. I only knew that he had a secret because there's everyone in the movie was something. Uh, yeah. But I yeah. never. Yeah. When Miles is in the apartment and he, and he comes in, I'm like, and he, he takes the call and I thought it's got to be the uncle. What? It, it's got to be because we were given the phone call of like, oh, I'm away on business for the next couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, s smart writing. You don't introduce a character and then just write them off with a poor excuse. He's going to come back somewhere. He's tied into miles somewhere. So that I had a hint. I wasn't positive, but I was suspicious because I thought this is the only character. Whenever you have a mass character, I start wondering, there's got to be a reveal. It's got to be somebody we've seen before. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Well, luckily, I mean, they timed that well because the reveal is like oh, seconds did. after yes. that. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, yes. No, exactly. Yeah. Right. I made that. I saw the uh, film with a friend of the show, Darnell Smith. And yeah, I made the joke because he was saying he didn't see it coming. He knew it, he had a secret. Yeah. And I said, yeah, me too. Uh, but then I was like, but then once he uh, took off his mask and faced the camera and someone called him Uncle Aaron, I was like, yep, got it. It's Uncle Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Aaron is Prowler. Sorry, Sony. I'm a couple 
couple steps ahead. So one of the uh, I'm actually reading with my son. We're reading Miles Morales Spider Man, which is essentially uh, it's kind of a novelization. Uh, it's a it's sort of a novelized sequel to the movie, uh, but it's written by Jason Reynolds and uh, Kadir Nelson. And um, Jason Reynolds is this unbelievable writer. I mean, he's just, he's a, a National Book Award winner. I'm not sure if he's got a Pulitzer, but he is, he's an incredible writer and he tells these incredible stories about um, just the black experience and the black youth experience. He's written a dozen books. Um, and so this this book, I can't recommend it highly enough. If you're into this story and uh, you're into <laughs> books, I guess, um, it, it's a really good one. And so I cheated a little bit because it's sort of a sequel um it picks up with the hole that is left after aaron's death and that um for the family for, for well for for miles and for jefferson in particular but mostly for miles because he's talking about you know i was there when you know right. when you died i saw that i didn't because we as the reader don't know how it happened they don't talk about it in the book but they absolutely go into hmm. that emotional experience of the hole that's left when your family member dies and you can't tell why that you were there you can't tell that it was it was this incredibly complicated good versus evil but so much more story um and it was um it, it was i, I found it I, i'm finding it very satisfying um a satisfying read so for what nice. it's worth well that's awesome and i think miles as a character is kind of a revelation here i th- i thought it was fantastic and shameek moore i mean I loved I want to see more so of great. this character. Yeah. I thought it was I loved great. His voice yeah. so much, and the animation. It was just such a great everything about it. it was so, uh, yeah, it was so uh, charming. And looking at the cast all together, I want to tell you when I went through uh, everybody that's listed as a part of this movie in IMDb. This is the one of the first times when I've had to go into the full casting crew to get down to all the names of the people who had an impact in this movie. This is a huge wonderful voice cast in this movie and you may not always realize it but there are very friendly recognizable names that are voicing over these parts who are some of your guys' favorites we already talked about Mahershala Ali and Shamik Moore who else uh, did a great job on, on voice for you Cage baby I was the whole time so I was good. like no is that Nicolas Cage because that was my favorite character was Spider Noir oh. I'm such a sucker for that kind of uh, writing that old timey kind of pitter patter gumshoe kind of stuff I Wherever love so I go, much the wind follows <laughs> oh so great he had so much stuff without being too much like let's beat feet like he wasn't too much into parody they knew how to use it with again economy i know one word um but it was i just i loved all that so much and he that was my favorite part the cool thing about it being such a cool cast it doesn't it never felt like it seems like in a lot of um uh, animated films this is probably a cliched thing to say, but they're casting big names just to draw in parents because it's kind of like a who cares? Like, why is John Cena the voice of an animated something? <laughs> but all of these voices seem really smartly picked to really be the the perfect like distillation of the characters, which I really liked. This is an incredible Lily Tomlin vehicle. Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. Yeah. And she's gung ho. I saw an interview with her talking about how she's actually seen a comic where Aunt May gets bit by the spider and becomes 
Spider-Man? Spider-Man. No, Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> she becomes. And she's like, I'm ready. Let's make it. I, I think that's, that's awesome. I really love John Mulaney uh, as uh, I thought he was as Spider-Man. I thought that was genius casting. And um, he just has the perfect voice to it for it. And he he tells this wonderful story during the late night circuit and I was watching some interviews before we came on. And he tells a story about how um, like he didn't know anything about what they were going for for the movie. They just said, have some fun with it and go in and, and do your lines. And uh, and so he did. And, and so these lines, they they played some of him that they captured uh so you go into this thing blind and you they give you a script or do you get to improvise a little bit or oh so yes it it is it is wonderfully scripted but they they did a thing that is very generous when they say to uh, uh comedy people they say have fun with it uh and you know add your own words um and so for the very first session i'm still in fight or flight because i think it's a kidnapping uh yeah I, I did go my own way with it, and uh, I threw in my own lines. And what happened was I was uh, just uh, cursing wildly. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> this is you. I, thank you for you say, say this exclusively for us. These are outtakes. These are not in the film. Yes, um, they sent along the John audio. Mulaney doing the voice of <laughs> Spider Ham. This is real. I yeah. did this. Damn right. Oh, you bastards. And how the is he gonna do that? And how the exactly is he gonna do that? Two days. <laughs> I've been spider ham 30 years. <laughs> they can't use any of that. Uh, I, I thought it was great. Y you know, and each voice I, I thought was so well um, encapsulated by the animation, right? That was so different. And when you look at that shot, as they are um, there, the sort of down camera below Gonky, the roommate, uh, and they're looking up yeah. at all of the spider people on the ceiling. And each one of you freeze that and look at it because every bit of animation for each character is so unique and so special but and so different from the character right next to it touching mm -hmm. it that is mm -hmm. some incredible artistry the way they did that and uh, and and to keep that and be so uh, committed to it for the entire duration of the film was just deeply special i've only seen that i've really only really noticed that in an animated movie once before and that was in uh, atlantis the Disney oh, yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. where they had different animators on each of the characters and it really looked like they were each a different style, but it was not for, it wasn't for a specific purpose to the story in Atlantis. Whereas in this, they're from different dimensions. How perfect and how clean did they do it through everything? You know, you talk about uh, one of my, my kids' favorite parts of the entire movie is when Spider-Ham comes up and says, you got a problem with cartoons? And he starts <laughs> beating him over the head with, you know, yeah. an Acme oh. sledgehammer and then drops an anvil on, on Scorpion. <laughs> like that kind of idea it was done with such care and specificity to the to the story that it was really great i've never seen any animation like this before this feels like something completely revolutionary and different to me now i might just be unfamiliar with that kind of stuff have you guys seen anything like this where you have these shifting backgrounds and then the the sort of the the, the again going back to that homage of comic book that they were doing in frames and then we talked about the dots and we talked about all this i've never seen anything like this this feels completely new to me there are i mean it's been a great decade for playing around with animation and a lot of really interesting styles i mean you look what the I, i'm going to 
not I can't remember the name of the company, but the Irish company that's doing films like Song of the Sea, um, they are doing some, uh, and I can't remember the other films that they've done. They've done a, a, a number of them. That it's such an interesting style that they are doing. You look at some of the the films coming out of Japan, like uh, the Princess Kaguya, and the way that it looks like it's done in watercolor. There are some really fun styles that people are playing with right now in animation. Not necessarily like this, but it, it does seem where. You know, the doors have really been opened to, you know, explore what we can really do with animation. Um, And it's it's exciting. I mean, even something like Chico and Rita, which is a a, a, I think Puerto Rican or Cuban film that came out a few years ago about kind of, uh, you know, jazz. I mean, it's 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 great that people are exploring and playing around with that. And. Um, I, and this just fits right in with that. It, it's if, like Steve said earlier, this is a format that allows for this play to exist, but um, it's not always present. But when it is and when they use it effectively, it's it's just it's, it's a thrill. Well, they're embracing the visual medium because, you you know, early movies were a lot of you know, they were set up like watching a stage play. You know, the camera was locked down and then, you know, action would happen. And then, you know, as cameras became mobile, things changed. And, you know, comic books, how do you communicate information visually? And we, we've talked about this, I think, with some Black Panther, you know, at Marvel, where there will be certain certain shots that are set up like, yes, that's a panel. That's the cover of a comic book. And this is just taking that, you know, times 100. Comic books, you know, have figured out how to communicate Coming back to Tommy's word, you know, economy, how to get information across visually very quickly. And if it does it so well there on the printed page, why not find a way to bring that to life on the screen? Because there were so many things that were done where I thought, yes, that, you know, was, was, we've got multiple, you know, sp- like split screen stuff going on. Everybody knows or or most comic book readers are going to know how this works, where we've got, you know, the the multiple panels of the shot where we're getting closer, closer, closer on a character. It's it's like the it's a comic book version of a a push in. But let's keep it set up like that because it has a certain feel to it and it lives in this world. There were just so many things that. it's those, uh, I guess, I don't want to say cliches, but it's those. Uh, it's tropes, tropes beloved, yes. beloved tropes and really honoring those. And then also breaking them of like sometimes they'd go one, two, three, one, and then two and three would be separated, but actually be the same. Yes. And then exactly. the yeah. tire would speed. I mean, it's it's a it's a real movie to want to see again. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm which dying is such a great compliment again. for it. Like, really yes. want to see it again, just to let. Yeah. Well, and the other reason to see it again is because there's with animation, there's so much detail. As you know, if we're taking the time to animate each of these characters differently, then you've got everything going on in the background. I I noticed uh, in Peter's you know uh, dorm room or whatever, there's a. You know, Chance the Rapper, and in our world, he's got oh, his yeah, baseball hat with number three, that. and he's yeah. got a number four up there. I'm like, okay, there's just little things. I saw in Times Square there was a ad for some Seth Rogen movie, and I'm like, what was that? Hold, hold the horses. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just you know, fun <laughs> hold little the horses things, of Seth Rogen, yeah. like that. That I know that it's going to be this freeze frame, you know, fest of just like what is going on, what is embedded in here, what are they hiding in there, what are these Easter eggs, but also just to experience the visuals uh you know on the way back i asked my daughter what was her favorite part and she said the 
whole, uh, what was it? A kid in a Halloween costume dragging a homeless corpse with him. Uh, all, <laughs> oh, right. Unconscious Peter dragged behind the, the train thing, which is just insane. It was so much fun. Uh, she said, yeah, that, yeah, she's like, that's my favorite part that just, she's like, I haven't seen anything like that. And it's, it's just so much fun because you get, again, we're not in the real world when you can have miles riding on Peter's body and his face, Peter's face is dragging against the concrete. It's like, Oh, oops, sorry. It's, we're not in the real world where it's like, Oh geez, he's going to have, you know, bad road rash, you know, so many animated <laughs> movies trying to play all broken. Yes. I mean, he gets beat yeah. up, but again, we're in cartoon land where, you know, he's Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man always yes, gets exactly. beat up. People get beat up, but we don't have gore. We don't have realistic gore. People can get, you know, shot and we don't have to have blood all over the place because we're, we're in a, well, as it told us right at the beginning, this is approved by what the comics code authority right, yeah. right yeah. there at the beginning. What wonderfully yes. great little joke there. there. Yeah. You mentioned uh chance, the rapper, uh, I wanted to bring up the music in this movie. The, so good. The credit on it yeah. was Daniel Pemberton. This, in terms of soundtrack and in the score, is one of the best that I've heard in a long while. Both all the all the music cues were perfect, and they did a bunch of mashup of classic rap, um, New York based. I mean, it was it was geographically purposed. It was all of that, and then you've got the score where. All of the soundtrack, whenever we're dealing with the Prowler, like the Prowler's theme is just, it's creepy and it's wonderful and it drives energy to the, I mean, everything about the music in this movie was was spot on. And the soundtrack right now is available and it only has the current music cues or music cues that are on it. But I, there's got to be an extended soundtrack that'll mix that with some of the classic stuff and some of the score stuff. All the music was so perfect for me in this movie that I it just drove me to enjoyment at every turn on this one. It sounds like the music that Miles would be listening to. Totally. It fit perfectly in the world. And 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 Pemberton, we've I mean, we've talked about him a number of times on the show. Um uh, he did Ocean's 8, he did uh, Molly's Game, he did uh Man from Uncle. Uh you know, he's a he's a composer that's been uh, doing some really interesting stuff and I I I think that he perfectly found the tone for everything going on here and and brought the music to life in in just a brilliant way uh with not just him but i mean you know the music he did plus all the songs that they brought in everything just fit so perfectly for this world oh he did the music for uh black mirror's uss callister right yes so he's also really really? good at like being able to synthesize a certain type right like take on yeah take on a certain type and then really make it about that that's cool someone was talking about easter eggs uh we bandied about a little bit the the 42 number, and I also heard a, a little uh, anecdotal reference saying that Stan Lee is in lots of places in the movie. Steve, you mentioned that there's a bunch of free freeze frames. He's walking a dog at some point. He's, he's in lots of different places, so they put him all over this movie, which is great. Someone in our pre-show talk mentioned that there was a joke about the original Spider-Man 3, and I missed it. So which... Andy, was that you? Did you hear that joke? What was the joke about? It was about? the dancing. The, it was the when he's dancing, of, you know, at the, at the oh, very beginning. The he's just like, yeah, we yeah. don't need to talk about yeah. that or whatever he says, you know. Yes. Uh, right. I thought it would be something about the too many villains. Spider-Man 3 yeah, it was a, <laughs> tried to create an origin story for three of the biggest uh, villains in Spider-Man history. Well, yeah, when Peter Parker introduces himself and we get so many sort of uh, memorable moments from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man right. movies, uh, I thought, okay. Right. That really, I'm like, which 
which Spider-Man universe are we in? Because that it was really interesting to see, you know, the, okay, the upside down kiss, the Spider-Man three, you know, dancing down the street. I thought, okay, the, the car stopping the, the train. Throws. Yeah. Stopping the train. All those. So I that's like, how Tobey Maguire ended up. Right? Is that a way I, to think about yes, it? Yes. So yes. there were there were little. He ended yeah. up being Jake Johnson. He Granted, turned there Chris were, Pine. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, Chris Pine. Oh, right. Chris he Pine yeah, was the original. Yes, the Peter of, yeah. This is when my head starts to hurt a little bit. But yeah, because you know, it's <laughs> he's he's singing the Spider-Man Christmas songs. Right, we, right, right. That was him. I'm sorry, I got confused. He's the one who dies. That you know, we can't. I we haven't really talked about that, but that was a serious moment in this movie when Kingpin just up and crushes oh, him. Yeah, um, yeah. Like we, you know, we talk about the you know comic code and whatever, but a Spider Man died. Like the Spider Man that was known in that universe, a Peter Parker, is dead. And yeah, it's great to celebrate all this new stuff. But this movie, I mean, that yeah, we have this older Peter B. Parker, but uh, it, this this movie changes changes things. And I I think that's a you know not to be left out of the conversation. Well, and that's why I mean, really, I want to touch on that sort of through line piece that you were talking about earlier, Pete. In that, what they did here by giving us the death of of Golden Boy, Chris Pine, Peter Parker, and then bringing in the uh, middle-aged, uh, hanging up the boots, Peter Parker, was really, they gave us a very graceful way to say, here's what we're going to do next. We're going to show you all the creative innovation that can come from Spider-Man. And we're going to take you into this multiverse way of looking at all of the creativity that can come out of the comic book universe. This is not what I expected when I walked into this movie. I expected to see a convoluted story that was going to mess me up and that I was going to be disappointed that they're still trying to squeeze one more dime out of Marvel properties. That's not what happened here. That was This was really an homage and a new way of saying, let's go to the next chapter. And I really loved it. Did he never, did that never happen in the comic books? They did kill him and in, in the uh, comics. Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. oh, they did. in the comics and Green Goblin did. And it's, it's great that, you know, it was, it was Bendis, uh, was it Brian Michael Bendis who, yep. um, who was in, you know, on this movie and wrote that particular episode or that particular issue. And, um, you know, it's a, it, it's a, a wonderful kind of, I don't know. You could say it's an homage. It, I mean, it is, but it's it's the same. It, you know, it's it is a, really filming a, a powerful moment uh, that's kind of been in the lore for for some time. And I think they did it with uh, you know with kind of rip the bandaid off with sort of violence and grace. And I think it was great. And w- we get caught up in the in the hoo ha of all the handoffs, and uh, it's a big deal. I love your phrase of violence and grace because it was handled. I mean, none of the hits. You don't see the actual hit. Right. You see it. It's always sort of covered by a rock or covered from just looking at kingpins. It's both of those. Kingpins massive back. Yeah. Ridiculous back. Yeah, it's done. I mean, this movie does have an enormous amount of heart and a lot of some really dark periods, uh, but handled. I don't know. It's just that word. What's a word for like handling it nicely and quickly? Oh, economy. That'll work. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I mean, it. Uh, this movie didn't shy away from some dark stuff and some scary stuff. I mean, people, as you're saying, Pete, they really do die in this movie. And that's not to be expected. And it's handled, I think, with violence and grace. I love your phrase for it. Well, I'm really excited to see where this ends up on our chart. Do you guys think we should rank it? 
It's flick chart time. Where is it gonna place flick chart time? Nobody knows how we'll rank. Flick chart, worth it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys. First up, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or everybody's favorite, The Mummy. Oh. <laughs> Spider-Man time. Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man. Spider-Man for sure. Spider-Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Beirut. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. But I did like Beirut, but Spider-Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, or Solo, a Star Wars story. Abstain. Spider-Man. 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 Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or Gravity. Oh, good question. Gravity hasn't sat well with people, but I think I still have to say Gravity in this one. I'm going to say Gravity. I'm going to say Spider-Man. Spider-Man. There we go. Andy, it's you. Uh, God dang it, guys. Oh, come on. This is so much fun. This is painful because I... I, This is what we live for. Weirdly, this was the matchup that I was like concerned about. I I was like, I hope (laughs) this doesn't come up. And here it is. All week he's been talking about it. Um, (laughs) Hasn't slept a week. I'm going to go with Spider-Man, though. I'm going with Spider-Man. Yes. There you go. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah just because you hate Rochambeau. <laughs> we can't. No, we can't do that. We got five. We're good. Okay. Related, Andy, you need new problems. I do. I know. These are my <laughs> dilemmas in life. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh. Uh, Spider-Man with a bullet for me. Wait, which is I'm The like, Last Jedi? Is that where the one ship went yes, through the other ship? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Spider-Man. I love how you say the best moment in that movie and then so cavalierly. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> oh, awesome, incredible moment that changed the nature of cinema. Been Princess Leia. It shouldn't have been some other character that goes through that spaceship. Yes. What a great ending that would have been for her. Which movie are we oh, talking yeah. about? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> right. That's the right one. <laughs> I am Spider-Man. Weird. You are? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm weird about it, too. I wasn't going to do it. We but, all um, are. Anyone can wear the mask. <laughs> uh, Steve, where, where are we now? We're at uh, three for Spider-Man. I want to say I, I love The Last Jedi and everything it did, but when it comes down to Tommy's word of economy, I think this just nonstop from you know beginning to end, pacing everything, I don't have... Anything where I can go, well, there's this one part. This is just a thrill from beginning to end. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to say Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner. I think I've learned that the way that I might enjoy Blade Runner more, because I did like it, is it's a two seat, it's a two night movie. Okay. Do you ever have movies like that, that it's better if you split it up, like The Fall, the movie The Fall? I should stop talking. We're trying to come to a close. Wolf of Wall Street. I had to like turn it off when he started like hitting on her mom. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I will say Spider-Man, but I might feel bad about that later. I'm going to say Spider-Man. What are we ranking it against? Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> 2049. God, I blacked out the first time you said that. Yeah, Spider-Man or Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> no, no, it's two and two. It's down to Pete. Damn. Ooh, Pete! This is uh, very troubling. This is your gravity. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Spider-Man. And your economy. Whoa. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is now number one on our flick chart. What? Look at number that. Number one. Look at that. You're kidding me. I'm not angry about that, but that's how flick chart works. That's how. <laughs> Something yes. can just show up at number one. I guess yes. I do not understand algorithms. That's crazy. 
But what about Monuments Men? You guys, Monuments Men. All right. Tommy, oh, don't wow. you know a subway so, can't undress a Spider-Man? <laughs> wow. All so right. So if, if, if you're listening and you were excited by everything that we just went through with that, because Spider-Man just ended up at number one, you can check out the Holy entire cow. film board filmography ranked at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. When you get there, you can create your own tournament style stack ranking of your own. And if you disagree with us or if you agree with us, you can see how your big screen favorites run alongside ours. Now we also rank it. And I guess it's okay for us to be number one for me. It's not number one on my personal flick chart, but I'm okay with that because it's a five-star movie for me and it's a like. My name is Tommy, and I'll say four stars and a like. Four and a half stars and a like. We can do halves? Now you tell me. <laughs> All right. Four and three eighths stars and a like. Yeah, math. All right. I'll give it five stars. I'll follow oh JJ. Oh, my goodness. Well, you ranked it over Blade Runner, so it's obviously. It's you've... definitely a five star. Although, weirdly, I couldn't rank it any higher and ended up at 34 out of my list uh, on my own flick what? chart. And I, yeah, I, which feels terrible, but it just, it hit some things that. Oh, because of 2001? To... <laughs> yeah, 2001 <laughs> was, the, was the real stalemate. <laughs> flick chart I deleted. I deleted my flick chart account when it hit that. <laughs> Reset. <laughs> well, I am also giving it five stars and a like. So that puts it wow. in overall 4.7. So it's, uh, it's way up there. It is a way up there. When was, Again. When was the last time we've all been on one side of a film? Has it happened a lot? Child, child 44? <laughs> other side we were on the other side of the tracks for that one but yeah exactly cool. so uh that's pretty interesting this is definitely unexpected for it to be that high but i i support it and and where do we go from here next month it's gonna be a brand new year brand new movie we talked about doing glass we're not gonna have all five of us like we enjoy in december which was pretty special but we're gonna do glass third week in january they say it's both the sequel to Unbreakable and the sequel to Split. It's a dual sequel, so it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, how about on the main show, uh, the next reel on that? What are you? Where are you guys right now? Actually, we're just wrapping up our movies and their remakes uh, series. We've done the Thomas Crown Affair, and then you're catching us right in between the producers, 1967 and 2005. So we're doing uh, doing this this week. Uh, you're going to hear the producers, the musical with uh, Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Well, that's awesome. Check out the weekly show, and then next month, come back and check us out for Glass. We did make a short mention of it earlier, but everyone listening should come join us over on Discord. We gather with our community about a half an hour before every film board show to chat a bit about what we get out of our monthly movie. Go to thenextreel.com for details on how you can connect with us in the virtual green room. The craft service is fictional and fantastic. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us all year long. Happy holidays, Andy Nelson. Woohoo! End of the year. <laughs> Sweet dreams, Tommy Ansem. And remember, please join our Patreon because with great podcasting comes great insolvency. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Pete Wright. Good night, everybody. And one more word from Steve Sarmento. Spider Hondo. <laughs> Very nice. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. can wear the mask oh the music stopped <laughs> andy according to my friend internet this is what letterboxd is 
Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. 